Yes, Brandon. Yes. So, um, just as a quick, quick update. So, um, right now, um, I should find out this week, hopefully by Tuesday, from uh, Mike Blake whether he's going to be our camp speaker or not this year. Um, so, this past week, they they moved their the treatments from it was it was like a they were basically at the hospital from Monday through Thursday. Um, with some very intense chemo treatments uh, for his daughter, Josie. And um, so now they're at the point where they switched the treatments. Now they're doing two-day treatments. So that means that they only need to be up at the hospital for two days and then come back. So his wife, Becky, went ahead and took Josie this week uh, on her own just to see how she could manage things. And then he said he's going to see how that goes and then let me know hopefully by Tuesday. So just keep praying for them. Um, And I told Mike that even if, you know, for example, something happens at camp and he's got to go, then go, you know, because his family definitely takes top priority. But we can keep praying for that. That'd be awesome. All right. Okay, let's go ahead and pray this morning before we begin. God, thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to come before you um, this morning. And um, there are just many things about the Bible that many people have questions about, um, that we even have questions about. And, um, and what I love about your word is that if we're willing to believe what it says, you can give us all the answers to those questions. And so uh, we pray this morning that you be with us as we consider these things and that you would give us your wisdom and understanding and that you would teach us. Um, if there's anyone here today that does not know you as their Savior, I pray, God, that they would be convicted in their heart about those things and that they would uh, really desire to know you for who you really are because you love them deeply. And if there's anyone here this morning that is just dealing with sin issues and different things that they just keep struggling with and they can't seem to let them go, God, I pray that they would submit and humble themselves and yield to you. Um, because chances are they know what they need to do, but they're just not willing to do it. So God, I pray that they'd be able to see themselves for who they really are, see you for who you really are, and then just respond accordingly. And uh, I do want to pray for Mike and his family. I pray that you would just have a hand upon them this morning and this week, and just continually as they keep traveling this road. It can be a very, very long road ahead. And so I pray, God, that they would rest in your arms and that they would um, really trust you every step of the way. And I pray for Josie that you would uh, just draw near to her and that she would draw near to you. And that through this, that she would be able to, to realize how much of a, how, how loving of a God you are and how much you care about them as a family and, and, um, and how all these things can be uh, used for, for all of our good, no matter how difficult things get. <clears throat> so, God, we love you this morning. We thank you for how good you are to us. We don't deserve any of your grace and mercy, and yet you give it to us freely. And so we do love you, and we just want to thank you this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we are in the fifth week of doing our Sunday morning barbecue. And so we're going to be talking about some of those burning Bible questions that we've got. Um, carrying on from last week, one of the things that came up as we were talking about <clears throat> just different things that people say when you get in conversations with people. Um, do you guys remember what we were going to talk about today? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, it was yours, yeah. Yes. Okay. So this comes up all the time. How many of you have faced this with talking with people? Why should I believe the Bible? Because it's only written by men and men make mistakes. Okay. It's come up in my life too. I remember even talking with my grandma who's since passed away. Um, but she, a lover to death, and I firmly believe that she was saved, but this was something that was an argument for her too. When it came to the Bible, she always thought that I was just way too serious about the Bible and I was way too intense about the Bible. And I'm thinking, grandma, 
why not? I mean, we're talking about life and death when it comes to people and their eternity. Of course I'm going to be serious about it. Um, but this has come up often, oftentimes. All right, so within the realm of thinking about, okay, the Bible is written by men. Men make mistakes. How can I trust it? How would you answer that question? How have you approached that question and tried to talk to other people about it? Jack. Okay, and that's a very good verse. You know where that verse is at? Okay, anybody know where that one's at? Very important verse to understand with this topic. Not Timothy's. Not in James, uh-uh. Any other shots? Nope. Okay, we've ruled out about six books. So we got about six. It's in one of the Peters. Which ones? Let's find out. Open up your Bible. Try to find it. Which one? First Peter or second Peter? God bless you. Again. No kidding. Second Peter. Again. Get him out now. All right, Second Peter chapter one. Chapter one. Now we're gonna go we'll go through this this chapter and in these verses because I want you to be able to see this. Um, and I'll put it up on the screen for those of you that do not have a Bible. And if you'd like a Bible and you don't have one, we've got some in the back. Um, just let us know, or you can look on the one with your neighbor. All right. So, verse 16. Now, because this, this is the deal. It really comes down to verse 16 as the, as the kicking start on this. Because people believe that Christianity and the things in the Bible are cunningly devised fables. That's what they believe they are. They believe that Christianity is no different than any other religion in the world. And that there's a lot of people that believe that Christianity is just something that man invented in order to control other men. And unfortunately, some people have used the Bible and Christianity and other religions to do that. So to an extent, I do believe that. I mean, just look at the Roman Catholic Church. That's exactly what they've done. If you go back over their history throughout the thousands of years that they were in power during the Dark Ages, that's exactly what they did. It had nothing to do with God. It had nothing to do with Jesus. It had nothing to do with the Bible. And yet they claimed all three. They just did it to control people. They wanted power and influence. That's it. And that is absolutely wrong because that is not what God ever intended. So look at verse 16. So Peter's speaking here, and he says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. So this is not anything new. Ever since the dawn of time, when men decided to depart from the ways of God, the only thing left that you have are fables. And in order to have a fable that actually sounds reasonable and good, it has to be cunningly devised. It has to. And so all false religions and all false beliefs, no matter what they are, if they are have any traction whatsoever within societies and within humanity, it has to be cunningly devised, very well thought out, and it has to make sense to some people to some extent. So he says, we have not followed cunningly devised fables. When we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So there's his testimony. We saw him. We were with him. We spent time with him. We heard him speak. We heard God speak. And I mean, all these sorts of things that he talks about, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Verse 17, for he received from God, the father, honor and glory. When there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. 
So in verse 17, he describes, not only did we see Jesus and we heard him, but we actually heard from God the Father himself. So on the Mount of Transfiguration in the Gospels, when Jesus revealed his glory, they heard the voice of God the Father. And God the Father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And you can go back and read that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Verse 18, and this voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. And then look at verse 19. There's our context, hitting up to 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. So here in verse 19, he says, we heard God's voice. We saw Jesus with our own eyes. And then he says, we have a more sure word of, what's the word? Prophecy. So everything that they heard, everything that they saw, he says, we have a more sure word of prophecy. Now, there's some people, if you just stop there, they could say, well, that's just what the prophets had said. You know, that doesn't necessarily mean the written word of God. Well, you just stopped a little bit too short. Look at verse 20. Knowing this first, that no, what is that? Prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. And then he describes the method through which the prophecy became the written word. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So you can go back and you can study this out in Jeremiah, but this would be how everything unfolded. Every single passage of scripture that you find in your Bible, this is exactly what happened. God moved in the heart of one of his prophets to deliver a message. That message was then spoken, and then that message was then written down by a scribe. You can go back in Jeremiah. Jeremiah is one of the, there's a, there's a chapter in there. I forget which chapter it is. You guys remember? It's like 30, you think it's 32? It's like, yeah, it's in the 30s. It might be 32, 34, something like that. 36? Okay, it's in the 30s. So read them all and you'll find it. But anywho, you have Jeremiah. Yeah, Bobby, if you want to look that up real quick, that'd be awesome. If you have Jeremiah, he is moved by God. God tells him a message to speak. Jeremiah speaks that message. And then Baruch is a scribe. What is it? 36. 36. Your wife was right. You were wrong point for brandy yeah. all, right. all right in the bible competition between spouses okay so then you have jeremiah he speaks that word of god and then baruch writes that prophecy down and then here's what happens this is really really cool so that prophecy is then written down and then he's told to go and read it in the ears of the people so they go out and they he declares the written word to the people people hear it and they're convicted and they're like oh my goodness people need to hear this so then they take it to another place. They read it again. Oh my goodness, the king needs to hear this. The people need to hear this. They take it before the king. The king begins to read it. He gets partway through and then he takes it and takes a knife out and just starts slicing it up and then throws it into the fire. Because he doesn't like what it says. A lot of people treat God's word that way. And if that were the case, like if that's all you need to do to get rid of God's words, well then God's words would have been rid of a long, long time ago. Because you know what God did right after that? He said... All right, write again. Write it again. Because man's going to destroy it, but I need it written. Write it again. And I'm going to add a few more things to it, by the way. 
which is very interesting. We can get into more details of that later. But what's interesting about that is that you can't destroy God's words. No matter how much you try, no matter how much you work as, as much as you want, God will never let his words be destroyed at all. So that's how it worked in the Old Testament. That's how it worked in the New Testament. The exact same way, verse 21, the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. Now, that's not to say because of the will of some men, they tried to write certain things that tried to reflect and then pull God's people away because that's happened like crazy. But he's talking about the prophecy of the scripture. For the prophecy came not in old time by the, the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost and those things were written down and that's why it says in verse 20, knowing this verse, that no prophecy of the scripture, scripture. So the written word of God becomes scripture after it's been given to the prophet. He speaks it and then it's written down. Okay. So that's what the Bible says. All right. Now, when it comes to that, that's still really not enough for some people because they think, well, pfft. I mean, what's the argument? You've heard them. Anybody? Okay, so the circular argument thing we're saying, well, you're just, you know, the Bible says it, but you're using the Bible to prove that fact, and so how do we know it's actually true? Okay, so that's a good one. What else have you heard? Go ahead. If it was pure, why are there so many versions? Okay, so many different versions, so that's good. I'm going to start writing some of this stuff down. All right, so you got the circular uh, versions. Okay, and then, Brittany? How does that keep men from putting their own ideas in? Okay, um, so men influencing. Um, what else have you heard? Anything else? Yeah. Some people say, I've had somebody say that man still wrote it, even though they were moved by the Holy Ghost. It's like a still man. Okay, so still kind of within this realm of thinking. Yeah. Okay. Anybody else heard anything else? How about this one? Okay, sure, I'll give you that. It was true in the original writings. In the Greek, in the Hebrew, in the Aramaic. You've heard that one? Okay. Translation. Yep. So in the original languages. And that, honestly, this right here, that is the majority of mainstream Christianity today. Um, and this actually then actually bolsters the whole version's argument. Okay. So let's talk about this for a second. All right. I don't have a problem. We'll just nip it off at the top. I don't have a problem with circular reasoning. You know Why? Because if it proves it to be true, then it's true. It doesn't matter where it came from. Make sense? Okay. So I think very, very simple. I think very, very logical. And that's part of a lot of people's problem. They don't want to think logically. Because if they think logically, they'd actually find out that God's true and they're not. And so they have to come up with all these different ways. But if what I read in the Bible, and I look out into the world, and I prove what the Bible says out in the world... And then as I read the Bible and as I compare it with itself and I find out that there are no errors in it, then the only thing left for me to believe is that it's true. I have constantly told people all the time, in fact, I've told you guys this story, but there was a guy in Ireland that I talked to who was an agnostic atheist. He didn't really sure what he believed, whether there was God or not. And I talked with him and I had the chance to give uh, the gospel to a whole group. And afterward, we had some pizza and I was talking to him one-on-one. His name's Paul. And... Um, and so as I was talking with him, he said, so do you actually believe like all that stuff with like Satan and Adam and Eve and God and all that stuff in Genesis and everything? I said, yeah, I do. I mean, I came right. Yes, I do. I said, do you know why? He's like, no. I said, because everything in this book, I have based my eternity on this book. 
where I go when I die and everything I believe in this life is completely based on this book. Everything. And so I'm like, have you read, have you read the Bible? And he's like, well, not completely, parts of it. I'm like, okay. I said, you should. You should read the Bible because I have found, I've been through the Bible several times and I have not found one contradiction. I have not found one error. And I promise you with all my heart that if you read the Bible and if you find one contradiction, if you find one error, and then it can be proven to be a contradiction or an error, then I will throw out my Bible, I will stop going to church, and I will stop giving all my time to God. I mean that. I'm not joking around. I'm not being dramatic or whatever. I mean that with all my heart. Because I have based everything, everything upon what this says. But the reason why I've placed everything upon what this says is because I have yet to find anything in it that's wrong. Because even if things appear to be wrong, look into it a little bit deeper and you'll find that it's actually not wrong at all. And so he was like, I mean, he was like taken back by my confidence, but I'm like, I mean it. And I wanted him to leave that conversation understanding there's more to this than what I think I know. And if that's all he left with, then I, I consider that a win. So I have no problem basing my truth on the Bible, based on what the Bible says and the Bible proving itself, because I've yet to find one error in it. It's my final authority. So of course I'm going to have circular reasoning. It's got to be that way. But if your final authority is perfect, then you can have all the circular reasoning in the world, and it doesn't matter. Make sense? Okay. All right, so there's that one. Now, when it comes to multiple versions, and... Um, Okay, so we'll do multiple versions, and I think I'll kind of tackle some of this all together. Okay, so versions for me are, are, are very simple. Once again, I'm going to think about this very, very logically. Um, if the Bible is true, and it is, then it speaks about a battle for the throne. Who's going to be in charge of this world, the universe, for all eternity? That's really the theme of the entire Bible. And of course, as we know, as you read the Bible, God created everything, and so he has the rightful place upon that throne. But then he has his enemy, and that would be Lucifer, and then when he fell, he became Satan or the devil. And so you find from the very beginning that there is this constant battle for the throne. All the way through, when you see the devil show up, he is always manipulating, he's always trying to counter, contradict God's plan, God's word, uh, everything. Anything that God wants to do, he's coming right in before or after to try to counter it every single, every single turn. For some reason, within the last, like, 500 years, maybe close to 1,000, but especially the last 500 years, people just pretend like there is no devil, like somewhere he just died and he doesn't exist anymore. I don't get that. I don't understand that. But here's what I do know. He's been around for a very, very long time, and he is very smart at what he does. He is a master, master when it comes to trying to attack humanity, trying to attack God. One of the things you'll find as you study scripture and history, that if the devil does something one time and it doesn't work, he'll never do it again. Or he'll change the way he does it. Let me give you a good case in point. So back during the early church, so church got started, you got several hundred years after, there was these things called the Roman persecutions. There were 10 different series of persecutions where Christians and other people as well were just completely slaughtered. But you know what you found out when you study history? The more they were persecuted, the bigger they grew and the stronger they became. So he stopped that because he hasn't been doing it. I mean, he did it all the way up through and he did it during the dark ages and he did it during that time. But there came a point where all of a sudden the Roman Catholic Church lost its power within the world 
And then that ushered in the Philadelphian church period, which is the greatest period in, in human history for missions. No other time in human history have people been able to take God's word to the ends of the earth other than that time, which is around 1500 up till about the end of 1800, beginning of 1900. Greatest time of human history when it came to people getting saved. Okay, so after that happened, you don't see that really happening anymore. Now, I know people are persecuted. I know they are. But you don't hear about it. It's not happening in mass scale anymore. Do you know why? The devil doesn't want it. Yeah. No. Yeah. The devil tried to do it, and all it did was made it worse. And so now he's like, okay, now I need to do things differently. What if I do it this way, and I go about it this direction? And so now the greatest problem that we have are people that look so, so close to the truth, and yet they are completely off. And if you can get people just to believe that, well, then, man, you're in. You're in. It is, it is something that you can't really see today. But if you dive into some of the details of what people believe today, that's what the devil's doing. The devil is not in some of these places that we think he is. Like a lot of people think that the devil's like in the bars, he's out on the streets, he's, you know, the, the, the drug deals that are going down and, you know, all the gangs. I'm like, no. Okay, yeah, he's involved with that. But you know where he's at? He's behind pulpits with guys wearing nice suits preaching the Bible. That's exactly what he's doing. And if you were the enemy of God, wouldn't you do the same thing? Of course you would. It's a brilliant plan. Brilliant plan. And then... If God is perfect, like last week we talked about how Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, right? If God is perfect, holy, and pure, and without fault, and if he has one way, and that way is found in the scriptures, because you guys know, what is it, Romans, uh, what is it, uh, Romans eleven seventeen. What is that one? And so then, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Okay, so if someone's going to have biblical faith that can save them, they must hear it from the word of God. And so if you're the enemy of God, what are you going to do? Change the word of God. But you can't change it dramatically, because if you change it dramatically, everyone's going to know about it. But if you change it a little bit, and then a little bit, and then a little bit, and then a little bit, and a little bit, and then people don't notice it. It's like if you take a, I don't know if you guys have ever done this, if you are, you're a psychopath, but if you've ever taken a frog and you put it in a pan of cold water and you just turn the burner on low, what will happen? (laughs) Yeah, you'll be killing the frog. It will sit there in the water and it will kill itself by just sitting in the water because it doesn't notice the temperature rising slowly, 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 slowly. But if you have a boiling pot of water and you throw that frog in, It'll probably die, but it will struggle and it will jump out. It will try to jump out because all of a sudden it's hitting something. Whoa. Okay. It's the exact same thing when it comes to the enemy of God. You move it just a little bit and 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 a little bit. No one notices because you're not rocking the boat. You're just moving gradually. And then all of a sudden now you're over here rather than where you should have been over here. And he was behind it the whole time. This is how sin works in your life and mine. This is part of my testimony and my story. If I compromise a little bit and then God convicts me and I don't deal with it, and then I let it go a little bit more, then a little bit more, then a little bit more, a little little bit more, 
And then I'm all the way over here after all these just small bad decisions, just small bad decisions that took me all the way over here. Now I'm in a situation where I'm like, how in the world did I end up here? Like, I'm in a position now where I'm blaspheming God. My testimony's terrible. I now have baggage in my life I have to deal with for the rest of my life because of my poor choices. Like, all these things. Because I'm over here, how did I get here? Well, it didn't happen overnight. It was a series of choices that you made. And it started off very small and seemingly insignificant. And that's exactly what he's done with the Bible. So... As the enemy of God, what better way to destroy people from hearing the truth of God's words than by tampering with God's words? And if you have hundreds of Bibles that are out there, it's only a matter of time before someone stands up and says, well, there's so many different versions of the Bible. How do we know which one's right? So it must be written by men anyway, because if you read this one, it says this. If you read that one, it says that. If you read this one, it says this and that one. How in the world am I supposed to know? Well, then you got to understand the original languages. Oh, baloney. Are you kidding me? Name me the last person that spoke Koine Greek. We barely understand English, and we speak it. How many of you struggle with grammar in school? Okay. So we, having, we have issues with our own language. You're telling me I have to go back and I have to read and understand a language that no one even speaks anymore? It's been dead for hundreds of years, and somehow I'm going to be able to understand God's words then? No, absolutely not. For those of you that have learned languages, you can learn languages in school, but I'm telling you, when you get to the place where they speak that language, guess what you find out? You don't know the language. (laughs) I had a great illustration of that last year when I was in Mexico. In school, I took three years of Spanish, and I learned the word stupid in Spanish, which is the word estubido. You say that in Monterey, it's borderline a cuss word. And I did that from the pulpit of a church. And he's like, no, 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 no. We say tonto. Tonto is much better. And I'm like, great. So, okay. So apply that logically to the Bible and original languages. Are you kidding me? So you're telling me to understand God and his word. I have to go back to a language that, number one, I don't even speak. And even if I learned it, I don't speak it within the culture that, it, that, that people even speak it today. And number two, the other language that the Bible's written in, the New Testament, is a dead language that no one has spoken in like thousand years. Yeah, right. Are you ridiculous? Okay, so you get my point there? All right. So as the enemy of God, he wants many versions that are out there. He wants it to be that way. That's not to say people can't get saved or they can't learn anything from other versions of the Bible. I grew up in a church that preached and taught the NIV. My dad preached in that church. It was his church. We were King James for a while. And then he switched over just because, you know, other guys on staff wanted to be more contemporary, more relevant to society. And that's the arguments that people usually put out there. And so he ended up switching over to the NIV. I got saved with the NIV. So I'm not saying you can't get saved you can't grow in your relationship with god i'm not saying that a person is a bad christian if they use other versions of the bible that's ridiculous but i will say this for me if god's words are that important and they are then i need to find them where is it if god has promised to preserve his words which he has according to psalm 12 6 and 7 proverbs 30 verse 5 and 6 and god is perfect then he would keep his words perfect. I know he would because that's who he is. And so now I have to find it. And so then that helped me and I started going on my own 
uh, I guess, studies and trying to figure out which one is the right version of the Bible. And it led me down a path that we just don't have time to even talk about this morning that led me to the point where the King James Bible is my final authority because I can trust every single word that's in it. Every single word that is in this book, I know me. Me, I know this. That I can trust every single word that's in this book. If I were to pick up an NIV, a New King James, a Message Bible, a TNIV, or whatever else, I can't trust every word. I can't. Because I know that. I've done the work on it, and I've studied it out. And you'd be very wise to do the same. You'd be very, very wise to do the same. All right, so that covers versions in a very super-duper high level. (laughs) Super-duper high level. All right, and that covers a little bit of original languages, um, which we touched on already a little bit. Okay, if my faith is based on original languages, well, then I can't base my faith on anything because I don't know the original languages, and no one can know. And they can try to convince themselves that they know, but they don't. They don't. Anyone that says that they know Greek and they know Hebrew and they've studied it out, baloney. You know what they've done? They've known just enough to get themselves into a Greek and Hebrew lexicon to understand the definitions of that particular lexicon, which, by the way, lexicons are written by men and they are influenced by what they believe. And so when it comes to a Greek word and you look up in a lexicon, you're reading some man's interpretation of that particular Greek word and he may not even be right because that language has been dead for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. I can't trust that. I can't trust that. I can't trust what God has done. And I know the process that God has taken in order to give me the Bible that I have. And so I have full confidence in that Bible. Okay, so men. All right, so I want to talk about this. Men's interference and men influencing what they want the Bible to say. All right, so I want to show you a little bit of an illustration because this really helped me out. Uh, We did this in the Bible Institute, and so you're going to see it again. And this is going to be something that you should see over and over and over again. Um, just because it will help you out tremendously. Okay, so what about men influencing Scripture? All right, so the Old Testament is something that, according to Romans chapter 3, it says that the oracles of God were committed unto the Jews. And so if you go back and you study how the Jews kept intact the Old Testament, I believe that with all my heart. I know the process they went through to keep the Old Testament together. It is fascinating, and it is absolutely amazing. And so the Hebrew text, I have no problem with. Now, when it comes to the New Testament text, a lot of people have issues with that because it wasn't committed to one particular people group. It was just something that God put in order. All right, so God put it in order, and he kept the New Testament intact through the priesthood of believers, the local church. Now, people are like, great, people can still influence it. Let me share with you something that just blew my mind and helped me out tremendously. All right, so you have a letter that's written. Pick a letter of the Bible. Okay, we're going to go with Romans. Corinthians? First Corinthians. All right, let's do First Corinthians. We'll do First Corinthians, all right? So you got, you got the letter to the First Corinthians, okay? It was written by Paul, okay? And after he wrote that letter, who did he send it to? The church in Corinth, okay? Now, when that letter was read, there was many, many things in there that people, like, they learned... They grew in, they changed, they did all these things because they responded to what Paul had wrote, wrote unto them. Now, when people read that, you know, because it would go to that particular church. So you'd have one copy. What do you think people are going to do when they read that? Copy. I want a copy of that. Whether it's in their own home or let's say somebody's visiting from Colossae or from Ephesus. 
And they're like, my church needs to hear that. And so what would they do? They would go into that church, get a copy of that letter, and then they write down and they copy it word for word. Okay? So then you have that copy. And you have another copy that was written. And you have another copy that was written. So this process would happen all over the place. Okay? And this is what happened with every letter in your New Testament. It was sent to a church, and that church would end up making copies of copies of copies. And so this copy would go here, 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 and then they would make a copy of it, and then they would make a copy of it, and they would make a copy of it here, and then they would make more copies, and this is exactly what happened over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Now, let's say somebody read something and they're like, I don't agree with that. So they come in and they decide to change it. And they change something small or significant, doesn't matter, but they change it. So we'll say this is the changed copy. Okay. Now, before that one would be copied, people would read that and they would say, that's not what Paul said. That's not what Paul said. Because here's my copy. And they would compare copies together. That's not what Paul said. We shouldn't use this one. And I'm not going to copy something that has an error. And so then it would stop. Dead in its tracks. Boom. They would know. That's not it. And so this one would no longer be used. And so this one would then be X'd out, and that would no longer be used. But they knew this one, this is the one that you really, really want. Or if that's the one I want, then I'm going to make a copy from that. And it would continue like that over and over and over and over and over again. Now, there's no doubt there's some people that they took those aired copies and they started doing with it whatever they wanted. In fact, there's proof of that. Um, i trying to think which letter that one's in. Um, let's see here. I know it's Paul. I want to say it's Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter 1. Turn there real quick. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. So not first, but second. I want you to see this because this is exactly what happened in people's lives. People would get a hold of a copy, they'd change certain things, or they would write a completely different counterfeit letter and they would send it to churches. And it says in chapter 2, verse 1, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. And then he begins to correct them. So this church in Thessalonica received a letter that was not written by Paul, but it was signed by Paul. So people were trying to corrupt God's way and send false letters to different churches to try to trip them up because they knew that this is what churches did. So they sent these false letters to them, hoping they would get propagated and try to thwart the plan of God. Makes sense. You're the enemy of God. What are you going to try to do? Stop the communication between God and men. And you do that by sending them corrupt manuscripts and scriptures. Okay? All right. So then as this would continue, this would happen for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Now, this is what's fascinating to me. This is what blew me away after learning about this process. There's this topic that's called manuscript evidence. And manuscript evidence is basically the study of how you know how the scripture has passed throughout human history to get to what we have today. Oversimplified, that's what's going on. Now, here's the deal. 
Out of all, and this is the term that they use in this circle, extant, extant manuscripts, and all that simply means is manuscripts that actually exist today that you can go and hold your hands onto when it comes to Greek, Hebrew, text, and all that kind of stuff. Out of all of them that exist today, they fall into two families. Two families with the Greek text. One is the Textus Receptus, and the other one is Alexandria, Egypt. Okay? There's two. Now, let me show you something here. Blow your mind. And once you think about this, from a logical perspective, it changes everything. And this also goes into the versions discussion as well. So you have the Textus Receptus, and all that means is the received text. And then you got Alexandria, Egypt, or American Eagle. All right. <laughs> now, out of all scriptures that exist today in their original languages, let me show you how it breaks down. And that is being very generous. Very generous. Out of all the scriptures that exist today, 95% are in the family of the Texas Receptus, and 5% are out of here. So as far as the body of evidence that exists, which one are you going to use for your Bible? The 95%. Because that is what the priesthood of believers used century upon century upon century as they made copies and copies and copies, and all of them agree together. All of them agree together. And yet, all modern Bible translations, all, all use this. All of them, except for one, your King James. Your King James Bible uses this as the basis. All other translations use this as the basis. And what's interesting is even within this 5%, they don't agree together. They don't. The only reason why they use this is because they say, well, these are older. You know why they're older? No one used them. No one used them. And so they put them on shelves. They put them in places where no one used them. And because no one used them, there's a reason why no one used them. Because they weren't right. They were corrupted. No one used them. But just because they're older, they think these are better. And that's ridiculous. And that is the bottom line of the whole argument. That's the bottom line of the whole argument. Okay. So you got to really think about that. And most people won't even understand a lot of those sorts of things. But that, at a very high level, those several things have really helped me out tremendously. Okay. Any questions on that? Okay. All right. Good deal. All right. We are going to end class at that point. Uh, we don't have any other questions at this point, so come ready next week to do that. Um, before you leave, I would like all of the junior guys, junior guys, to stay put. If you're going to be a junior next year or a senior next year, I want you guys to stay put. I want to just meet with you guys real quick. And um, we're going to have a quick meeting, but everyone else, you are free to go. So let's go ahead and pray. God, thank you so much for the things that you have placed inside of our hearts related to these topics. And I pray, God, that we would just trust you. Uh, no matter what comes, no matter what we may think or feel or see, God, that we would trust you. Um, help us to really do a good job being your ambassadors in this world. And that means that we need to be prepared always to have an answer. 
And so help us to think through these things and answer the questions that we have uh, ourselves first, but then help to answer the questions that other people have and to never be afraid when someone has a question that we don't feel that we can answer. Um, that we can just say, you know what, I'll find out the answer to that and that will provide a future opportunity with them. And so help us with those things. Give us confidence knowing that, um, that you are behind us every step of the way and that really when we share our faith and we share opportunities that we have um, just to talk to somebody about you, that it never is a losing situation. And so help us remember those things as we talk with people, especially as everyone is going to be closing out school this week for those that are still in school. Um, I pray that you give them great open doors in these last couple of days remaining. We love you very much. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.